compassion. And today we're reading from this major prophet here, Isaiah chapter 59. If you're physically able, would you stand today as we read? There are only five verses in our reading. We'll start in verse number 12 and read through verse number 16. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, and the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Father, would you bless thou this morning as we break down this passage, I pray that you'd give us clarity, give us understanding, from the youngest to the oldest in the room, might we know what you're trying to tell us as a people, as families, as individuals, as we move forward in our lives, we would be guided by your grace. And so we thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Would you listen as Kathy sings this morning? Your love, 
as if every promise is not enough. Kathy, so much for that. Appreciate that. Well, we're in this uh, series, Move with Compassion, and we get to this topic today of dealing with truth, of not watering down truth. And boy, it seems like we are almost at odds with compassion on this. Because in the world we live in, compassion is the byword. And at our life groups talked about this morning, Political correctness means that you have to approve of my lifestyle for me to feel better. And if you have to say that, that it's okay for me to live however I want to live, and, and that is at odds with truth. And so we come back to the scriptures and, and we find there are some big truth tellers in the Bible, God being the primary one. And in this passage today, it, boy, it really lays open uh, what takes place, and uh, there are facts of life that we need to know about. I was thinking early this morning, 
early, early this morning that with our kids that we cheer for things sometimes like when they're uh, learning potty training and and when they're starting to learn to uh, maybe ride a bike or learning these juvenile things. And, you know, if your 16-year-old has just learned to ride a bike, you don't really cheer, right? If your 12-year-old just did a poopy on the potty, nobody really cares, okay? It's not that big of a deal. Um, But yesterday afternoon, Sophie came to me, and uh, I was uh, the only adult home, and she said, i got to throw up. She's two. And so I said, no, you're fine. You know, wishful thinking, right? You're fine. Where did you come up with this? Who said that? Right? And so she kept saying it. She kept, um, so I took her in the bathroom and I showed her how we do all that and, and uh, you know, gave her the lessons of life on that. And, uh, and then I had an autumn, because she was home, I had an autumn go get her a bowl. Right? And I'm thinking, there's no possible way that a two year old's ever going to make it in a bowl if she does have a problem, um, because they do the projectile thing where it just like shoots like a, you know, squirt gun. Hopefully I'm not making anybody ill here <laughs> this morning. But um, so a few minutes later, I had gone downstairs to get something out of the truck and, and I came back in and Autumn comes down with the bowl. And uh, she says, Dad, she made it in the bowl. <laughs> it's kind of these mixed emotions, right? It's like... Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's really good, but yeah, it's not so good. So she made it in the bowl several times. And, and, and even uh, I went to pick up Brother Banwell from the airport and took him to Mountain Home, and my wife was giving me the report, yeah, she made it in the bowl again, and she's still sick, and there's all these kids that have a stomach virus. And apparently, in the middle of the night, when you're asleep and you're two years old, you don't make it in the bowl, Right? And then, after your mom and dad fall back asleep because they're so tired that they can't even stand up anymore, and you go downstairs to look for them in the middle of the night and accidentally throw up on the stairs, you don't make it in the bowl. And uh, so there are some truth-telling things in parenting that are just tough, aren't they? You just can't get around them, right? It's like you try to walk around that on the stairs. How long are you going to walk around it? Right? And if you don't clean it up, the smell's going to tell you it's there. Right? I'm being gross, but I'm introducing the topic of truth because we have a lot of people in society who, when it comes to truth, you know what they like to do? Oh, just going to skate around that one. And I don't really want to mess with that one. We'll just leave that one lying there. I can tell you this. The truth of sin is messy. The truth of wickedness on this earth is a messy topic. And so as we get into this this morning, we find that this chapter, this chapter really paints a picture of a world that has been turned upside down. And everything that's true is really being made into a lie. Everything that's a lie is being made to be true. And this particular chapter was written about 700 B.C., and things were bad. I'm pretty sure that they're even worse now. When we read our newspapers and we see what's going on in the past six days, we've had a reporter and a cameraman gunned down on a live morning show in Virginia this week. 
without a Houston deputy murdered in cold blood while he's getting fuel in his, his police cruiser. And boy, everywhere you turn, we've got mass murders. We've got psychological problems. We've got Planned Parenthood being exposed as the baby murders that they've been for 40 years. And a goodness gracious, the world seems like it just wants to walk around truth and not deal with it. Not deal with what's really going on. And, and here God deals with what's going on. Things are bad. Even in this postmodern culture that seems to think that we have all the answers. And so what's the problem here? And some people would say, well, God has abandoned us. God must have it out for us, and God's judgment has come upon us. But let's start with the truth that's lying in the streets here. Isaiah 59, we see, first of all, the facts of sin. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us this morning. You know, sin's true colors, they point to exceeding wickedness. If you go back to the passage here, Look what it says in verse number four. I'm going to go back in the passage a little bit and point out some things. It says, None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. Boy, that's a, a description of our society right there. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrices' eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth. That which is crest breaketh out into a viper. And boy, it just goes on and on here. Verse 7, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And we understand that the facts of sin are real. Sin's true colors point to exceeding wickedness. And sin's true consequences point to an utter separation from God. Can I tell you there's a reason why people don't like to hear about sin? You know what it is? It's because we're sinners. We don't like to hear about sin. Goodness gracious. We, we like to talk about, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I, I messed up there. I, I accidentally messed up. I made a mistake. I have to remind you, we are not mistakers. We're sinners. Right? We're sinners in need of a Savior. And, and there are some things that you just can't say, well, that was a mistake. Right? Like, I accidentally cheated on my wife. That's, there's no accident there. Right? I accidentally stole something from the store. There's no mistake involved. It's Sin, it's deceit, and there's a fact of sin that has to be noticed here. Have you ever noticed that when people curse a deity, they don't curse Buddha? Right? You ever notice this? When people get upset, they don't say, oh, my Buddha. They don't ever say, oh, my Muhammad. By the way, did you know that Muhammad is the number one boy's name in the country of England last year? England that used to send out missionaries all over the world? England that sent missionaries to reach 
much of Africa in the 1800s, has walked around truth for about 15 years when it comes to Islam, and now they've been taken over by it. And you know what a lot of people in America want to do today? They want to walk around the uncomfortable truth of Islam. In fact, we don't want to do anything to offend people who are Muslims in America, even though their Quran says that every person in this room should be beheaded just for being here today. That's the truth. Now, we just don't like it. And the facts of sin are messy, and we don't like to deal with them. I have never met a person ever who said, you know what, I love to clean up, throw up. Never. It's never happened. I've never asked everybody, and maybe there's somebody in here and you're a very strange person, right? But I've never met anybody who said that. And yet, if it happens in your house or your car, you clean it up. Why? Because if you don't clean it up, it gets worse. And yet, we have politicians in our nation, in our states, in our cities, who instead of wanting to deal with truth, they want to walk around it. That's why our national debt's $18 trillion. Because politicians keep kicking the can down the road, the can of truth, you deal with it. And so these facts of sin are brutal. You know, when somebody hits his finger with a hammer, I have never heard a person hit his finger with a hammer and say, Oh, Joseph Smith. <laughs> I've never heard a person hit his finger with a hammer and say, Oh, Pope Benedict. Never heard him. But I've heard him say, Jesus Christ. And why is that? Why do we always go back to the default of cursing God the Creator and His only Son, Jesus Christ, when we're in trouble? I wonder if it's because there is a God imprint on every human heart. The Bible says that we all know that we have a Creator by the very evidence of creation. Let me show you a verse in Romans chapter 1 that explains this. And by the way, if you've never studied Romans 1, it should be at the top of your list. It explains so many things in our lives and our society today. I want to just show you one verse here because it, it explains so much of what we face. Romans 1 verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But the facts of sin, even though we have God placed deeply in our heart, even though we know we have a creator, the facts of sin are truth. And we don't like truth. And so sometimes we push away from the fact of sin. And it really can mess with our lives. But then we see the falsehood of the heart. If you're going back to Isaiah, I want to show you another part of this passage in Isaiah 59. So we read there in verse number 12 and uh, read about our transgressions being multiplied before us. Our sins testify against us. As far as iniquities, we know them. Did you, see, did you catch that? We know we're sinners. 
When it comes right down to it, we know deep inside of us that we have iniquities, we have transgressions, we're sinners, we have a problem with God. Then it goes down to verse number 12. And look what it says, in transgressing and lying against the Lord. By the way, every lie is a lie against the Lord. Every sin is a sin against the Lord. Why does this happen? Look at the end of the verse. Conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Words of falsehood. If there has ever been a truth teller, it's God. God, he just tells it like it is. And he doesn't even say, in the beginning, there were some options involved about how creation should have been done, and you should investigate what all of those options were. No, he just speaks as it really is. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's just plain. Just an eight-word sentence. Boom. Right there. Is it eight words? I don't even know if it's eight words. I didn't count them. Somebody will probably be going like this in just a minute, because I've probably messed it up. But is it eight? Does somebody count? Can we count that high? <laughs> now it's going to mess me up. I'm going to be totally confused. God just says things factually. In fact, for an instance, look back in Isaiah 58. Look what he tells the prophet, verse number one. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. So God tells the prophets, just cry out. Even if they won't listen. He had already told Isaiah, the people who you're going to talk to, they'll never hear what you have to say. In fact, when Isaiah was called, look, go back to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll show you this. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, there's a famous passage where Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Remember that? Here am I, Lord, send me. I, I'll be willing to go. Look what God tells him. Isaiah 6, the next verse, verse number 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So God tells Isaiah, Isaiah, you're called. I want you to go. Now I want you to know this as you go. Nobody's going to listen to you. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great when Noah was called to build an ark and God said, I want you to tell everybody there's a flood coming. And so he did for almost a hundred years. And how many converts did old Noah have? That would be None. He barely got his own family on the ark. And now God calls Isaiah and says, I want you to tell the truth. Lift up your voice. Now they're not going to hear you. And then look what Isaiah said in verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? Like, isn't there an ending? Isn't there a point where people will hear the truth and say, oh, it's truth? But God said, uh, yeah, until the cities are uninhabited. Until there's no people left. Tell the truth, even if they won't hear. And why is it? Because there's a falsehood in the heart of man. 
we deliberately try to get away from a God reality. Mankind deliberately tries to walk around the God problem. We see it as a problem. He, man acts like he just appeared on the earth with no creator, with no designer, with no planner involved. And you talk to people, I'm a self-made man. Well, how'd you get here? Well, I was born to a self-made man. Well, how'd he get here? Well, he was born to a self-made man. How did he get her? Well, he evolved from another self-made man that somehow magically appeared through a series of one in a billion mutations over trillions of years. That's how I got here. You know, that's about as far-fetched as anything there could possibly be. Like, if I told you this morning that a comet was going to go by in the universe and it's going to get close enough to Earth where every people, every, every person in Caldwell is going to get sucked up into it, most of you would think um, whatever description you want to make, right? A few wings short of a buffalo wild wings meal. And, I don't know. A few you know, fries for, short of a happy meal or whatever you want to say. You would think I'm crazy. But you know, there is a much better chance that a comet could come by the earth and suck us out than there is that evolution ever happened. And yet, there are billions of people on planet Earth who buy into it because they're trying to walk around the God problem. God, the Creator, is central. He's in our hearts. There's a God reality. But people, because of the falsehood on their hearts, they don't want to hear God, or they don't want to hear what He has to say, and so they go as far around as they possibly can. It is wrong to tell people that God created the world. That is just as horrible as you could get. And you might as well be just a, I don't even know what to just, how could you possibly be worse in our society than to say that? And yet God tells us to cry aloud, spare not, lift up our voices like trumpets, and every heart that is human, is deceitful, it's desperately wicked, it's full of falsehoods and misrepresentations. And God nailed the whole thing for us right here in this passage. He said the facts of sin are real, the falsehood of the heart is real. And then we go a little bit further in the passage, and I want to show you this. It's such a striking verse. So you're back in Isaiah 59, and if you've never marked this verse, you should, because it brings you to a point where you have to think what's happened and think of things from God's point of view. Isaiah 59, verse number 14. And judgment is turned away backward. And justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. The third part of the message is the falling of truth. The following of truth. Does it ever seem like our society is just trampling over the truth? They just take truth and throw it on the ground like pig slop and walk all over it. And yet, it almost seems like Christians have bought in to not raising up truth like we should, not valuing it like we should. Not taking God's word and making it precious in our own hearts. 
They asked uh, presidential candidate Donald Trump this week if he likes the Bible. And he said, oh, I think the Bible's great. The reporter said, well, what are some of your favorite parts? He said, you know what, they're, they're really all good parts, and I think it's just great. I'm pretty sure he said that because he couldn't think of any parts. Politics aside, do you know most Christians couldn't tell you their favorite part of the Bible? Most people who say, yeah, I'm headed for heaven, of Jesus in my heart, they couldn't tell you their favorite part of the Bible. Did you know that over 80% of Christians who go to church every week have never read the Bible all the way through? And yet, we blame everything on liberals. We blame everything on progressives. We blame everything on the culture and on the wicked influences out there in the schools. Well, how about this? How about if we don't treasure the word of God the way we're supposed to, nobody will. If we don't stand in the gap, how can we expect somebody else to? If we don't read the word of God and apply it to our hearts and treasure it, who will? You ever thought about how much things cost by the gallon? I was reading an article that said that tap water in the United States costs about half a cent a gallon. That's a pretty good deal, right? Half a cent a gallon. How much does bottled water cost by the gallon? Depends on where you go, right? I mean, if it's Evian, it's probably seven or eight bucks a gallon. Right? If it's Aquafina, you could probably get it for, depending on where you go. Like, if you go buy it by the case, it's pretty cheap. If you go buy one at Walgreens, it's probably more. If you buy one at a little shop in the airport, it's five bucks. If you buy a bottle of water at a football game, it's eight bucks. Right? It's more than the soda. You think of how much things cost by the gallon. I was thinking about some of the products, so I looked up a couple. How much would a gallon of Frappuccino be? <laughs> Think of this, right? You got, uh, how many of you are Starbucks people? Okay, good. That's good. How many of you are Dutch Bros people? Come on. Right there. <laughs> All right. So that's why I'm going to pick on Starbucks a little bit here. So Frappuccino, they've got their three sizes, right? The uh, tall, the grande, and the venti, right? And what's the venti? 20 ounces? How many ounces are in a gallon? Does anybody know about this? How many ounces are in a gallon? 128? Is that 128? So if you bought, you have to buy six large frappuccinos plus just a little bit to get a gallon. So how much would a gallon of frappuccino be? About 30 bucks, right? 30 bucks for a gallon of frappuccino. Gallon of gas today, $2.85 about. Do you know that makeup... If you did it by the gallon, and by the way, some ladies need to do it by the gallon, I'm just teasing. I knew that that would get a reaction. Like, I even run, I write it stuff into my notes just so I can watch everybody go. I'm just, I'm totally teasing. Do you know, some makeup by the gallon is over $700 a gallon. $700 a gallon to buy processed bat guano. 
$700 a gallon. And then hair gel. And depending on what brand you buy, it's up to $150 a gallon. Printer ink can be as much as $1,500 a gallon. You buy good sunscreen that has the right SPF, and you buy it somewhere that's on site, like in a Caribbean country, it's going to be hundreds of dollars per gallon. Do you know eye drops, prescription eye drops, $3,500 a gallon. Isn't that crazy? $3,500 a gallon. Insulin, $35,000 a gallon. And the value of things changes with how badly we need them. Doesn't it? You know, when we get to a place in life where we're desperate, all the things that we thought were important are no longer important. All the things that we thought were valuable are not value, valuable anymore. And we begin to discern, oh, this is worth this much, and this is worth this much, and how much is truth worth? And what's the value of truth? And we'd all say, oh, it's priceless. And if it's priceless, then why don't we read it? If it's priceless, why don't we value it highly? If it's priceless, why do we allow it to be thrown into the streets as a myth and a fable and not stand up for it? If it's priceless. And yet, we sometimes buy into the societal thing of having truth thrown into a mud puddle and trample it and treat it like an impurity. I want you to think about what happens when a society devalues the word of God. You know what happens? Their society on a graph looks just like this. They crash. American society has been in a dead spin crash since we've devalued the word of God. Since we said that we can't have the word of God in our schools, oh, that'd be horrible. And yet, now we have politicians and even our president who want the Koran to be introduced in after-school programs. But don't try to carry your Bible on campus. Because, boy, that's horrible. Why is it so horrible? Because it calls us sinners. And that's really what we don't like. That's what we're so mad about as a society, is that God has the audacity to tell us we're wicked. He has the audacity to tell us that we need help to get to heaven. And so there's this falling of truth that takes place. And when I think of the psalmist, the greatest contrast that I could think of is Psalm 119. And it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. If you've never read it, you should read it. It doesn't take that long to read. We're not going to read the whole thing this morning. But I do want you to turn over there because I, I just want to show you how the psalmist valued the word of God. Here's some things that are pretty neat about Psalm 119. The Jewish scribes took it and broke it into 22 sections. Eight verses for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It has 176 verses, which by far is the longest chapter in the Bible. 
And every verse in Psalm 119, you know what its theme is? The Word of God. Every verse in Psalm 119, the psalmist talks about the Word of God. And so let's just do a sampling here. Verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse number 16. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You're going to skip down and get later in the psalm. Verse number 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 97, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I wonder what would happen if the people who say that God is their God actually loved the Word of God again. Oh, I wonder what would happen. I wonder if we said, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I'm going to take the Word of God, and I'm actually going to live it for what it says. I wonder how society would be changed. But when we devalue the Word of God ourselves, how do we expect people who've never been redeemed, people who hate our God to come along and prop the Bible back up. And we don't even read it. You know, the average American has six or seven copies of God's Word at his house. Those are paper copies. Yet he never reads it. He's got apps on his phone with all sorts of different plans and versions and doesn't read it. Talk about the average person. Maybe you're one of the 5% who reads the Bible every day of the year. 5% of Christians. It's a big deal, people. Because the falling of truth happens on our watch. The falling of truth happens on our watch, dads. Deuteronomy 6 says that we're supposed to be the ones to lead the way. It happens on our watch as parents. It happens on our watch as leaders, as teachers. We have allowed truth to fall into the streets. And we need to raise high the Word of God again. In this fallen world we live in, if you seek to follow God and you seek to speak authentic truth, you are going to become the prey of the God-haters. And really, that's the way it's going to be. And yet, a lot of people say, well, boy, if they're not going to hear anyway, and if they're going to hate what I say... Maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just not talk about truth anymore. I don't think that's what God wants. God says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you guys all know the answer to this. Where does a candle burn brightest? In a dark place. Take a candle down in the depths of a cave. And boy, it'll be all the light you need. 
the darkest places on earth can be lit by one candle. And your workplace might be one of those dark places. Your neighborhood, your family situation, whatever the dynamics of your life are, that could be a very dark place. And God doesn't want you to turn the light off just because people hate truth. He wants you to light the light and to hold it high and to lead the way with grace and truth. Go back to Isaiah 59. We'll finish up. I'll show you here in the passage what happens to people who hold the truth high. Look at verse number 15 if you're back. Isaiah 59. It says, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil, that's those who do tell the truth, maketh himself a prey. Anybody who tries to do right is vulnerable. You know, you know who the people are who have no vulnerability? The people who do nothing. The people who are the vulnerable ones are the ones who do something. I promise you, if you do something, you're going to get criticized. You're going to be hated. You're going to have people dice and slice or slice and dice, whichever way it is. <laughs> Just watch the cooking channel and get that right. They're coming after you if you tell the truth. And yet, God says we're, we're still supposed to do it because the following of truth is happening. But we get down to verse number 16 and see it again. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation. And we see this last one, the face of redemption. The face of redemption. The passage goes on to say this in verse number 20. And if you're marking and kind of show how it all works, verse 20 is awesome. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression, Jacob saith the Lord. I love the early part of this chapter because sometimes we play this blame game. Oh, if only God had been there. Only if God would intervene. It says in the very first verse that the Lord's hand is not shortened. He's as powerful as he's ever been. His ear still hears just fine. His peace still passes understanding. His power still available. His grace still plenty. His blood, foot of the cross, can cover the sins of mankind just fine and have plenty left over. It's not a God problem. It's an us problem. Look at verse number, 20, verse number two. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The only answer is the face of redemption. It's Jesus Christ. The whole message that we're sinners, that we have false sin in our heart, that we don't know which way to turn, that truth's falling in the streets, that's all bad news. Jesus came to turn that all around. Jesus came to pave the way to redemption through his own cross. And the way that we have this whole thing turned around in our lives is to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. And there's a verse that's always mentioned, and they always do this on a national day of prayer. And it's the verse that Solomon um, heard from God as he dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people, which are called by my 
name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It happens through an identity, though. It's not a self-help program. Christianity is not some theory. Christianity is not a religion. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And if we will turn from our way, from trying to skirt around the sin problem, trying to skirt around the God issue, and embrace him, it's life-changing. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we bow, could I ask you this? I'm not trying to pry into your life, but I would like to pray for you. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I do not know Jesus as my Savior. I am not certain where I would spend eternity if I died today. Would you just slip your hand up so I could pray for you? Nobody's looking around. I'm not certain where I'd spend eternity. Yes, I'll pray for you. Anybody else? I'm just not sure. Yes, I'll pray for you. You know, Believer, God wants us to love his word. God wants us to love truth. If we don't love it, who will? If we don't stand for it, if we don't proclaim it, who will? Do we expect the news media to all of a sudden lift up God's truth? It's our job. There could be commitments God wants you to make today. We're going to give you just an opportunity to come and pray at the altar, and kneel at your seat, pray with a friend, pray for someone who's on your heart, or maybe come and receive Jesus as your Savior today. Father, thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word, the way it comes into our life, and it discerns our thoughts and the intents of our heart, and it's powerful. It's alive. I pray that you would work on each of our hearts today. Help us to make commitments worthy of you as the truth the way, the life. And if there are those who need you as Savior, I pray that they would come today and receive you as Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As you stand, Miss Haynes is going to play. The altar is open. Do what God wants you to do today. Make commitments that are worthy of a Savior who died on a cross for you. Would you come right now? Father God, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you that in Jesus Christ is the fullness of grace, but also the fullness of truth. I pray that as we go through this week, that we would have words that are always with grace, seasoned with song, that we might influence those in darkness, those who are opposed to themselves, who are their own worst enemies, that we in meekness would instruct and love and befriend 
that show forth your compassion, even in truth. Guide us from this place. Bring us back for the evening service now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Evening service at 530. Have a great week, everybody.